the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show Ministry at faithtalk1360.com. Airs every Thursday, 5.30 p.m. at faithtalk1360.com and faithtalk1360 over the air. And then once it airs, it becomes a podcast, and you can follow a Rescuers Radio Show podcast wherever, uh, Facebook, Spotify, iCod, iPodcast, wherever you, wherever you want to go, you'll find it. And I have a great guest here today, very uh, honored to have Jason Schechterly here. Uh, Jason Schechterly uh, is a retiree from the Phoenix Police uh, Department and an inspiration to many. And Jason, first of all, hello. Hello. And welcome to Rescuers Radio Show. Thank you, sir. And I'd like to begin, uh, before we get to a very hard date that changed life for you, I'd like to hear a little bit about your backstory. I have a simple but great backstory Go that I, I love. Go I was it. born yeah. and raised here in the Valley, and uh, it's just been my home now for almost 50 years. Uh, great family. Great schools, great friends, played sports, everything that a child could want. I uh, gave a shot at college after high school. I had a golf scholarship. Wow. And uh, But I, I always had been called to serve, wanted to serve. All the men in my family had served in the military. Mm. So I, at a young age, at 18, all by myself, I think I shocked my parents. And I laugh today because I have three children. And if they did this, I would probably be incredibly upset. Uh, but I went on my own, and I joined the United States Air Force and took off out of Phoenix for what turned out to be an incredible four years and then came back home and started my life. I'm an Air Force vet. Uh, outstanding. Yeah, uh, 1967 to 71, and uh, Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane, Washington. Oh. I based for a long time. How lucky are you? They sent me to Grand Forks, North Dakota. So <laughs> I'm going to question their. I always question their sense of humor. Knowing I'm from Phoenix, I think they did that on purpose. There you go. Yeah. Grand Forks is the place where pl- uh, plugs, uh, cords stick out the grill of the car. Uh, it's they, they yeah, or else <laughs> your engine will not start. It's, that's right. I know. I know. I, I know that because my first broadcast gig was in uh, Bismarck. So uh, I know that country. So. Um, uh, Everything for you and your family and everything turned upside down 
on March 26, 2001. Yes. What was that? March 26, 2001 was a beautiful, normal Monday. And uh, I was working at the time uh, with the Phoenix Police Department on patrol in Central City and went to work at 3 in the afternoon. Supposed to work until 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, one of the dumbest things that police officers can say is it was a quiet, routine day. There's no such thing, but we say it all the time. Right. And uh, made it through uh, about three-fourths of my shift. And at 11.30 p.m. that night, I answered up for a call that uh, was actually not in my area mm-hmm. of responsibility. Uh, there were a lot of reasons why I answered up for that call, yeah. a lot of reasons why I chose my route of travel, but uh, I got to the intersection of 20th Street and Thomas, right next to Phoenix Children's Hospital, yep. Arizona Heart Institute, State Route 51 overpass, and came to a brief stop to clear the intersection. I had a red light, and in that split second, uh, you know, timing and choices are everything in this life, yep. and in that split second, I was struck from behind by a taxi cab. The gentleman driving the cab was having an epileptic seizure. And according to the investigation, he was doing 115 miles an hour when he ran into me. Yeah. yeah. I actually remember that. And um, and so what happened next to you? Well, for me, I mean, a lot happened, yeah. obviously. For me, it was, I do not remember, I didn't see the car coming, never felt the impact. Wow. And in the blink of an eye, I was in the hospital and... I had a thousand thoughts pouring into my mind. Why can't I see? Why can't I move? I was just at work. You know, just what is going on? And my wife was in the room with me, and she very calmly said, you're in a car accident. And right away, again, I thought, okay, I was knocked unconscious. It was three hours ago. It was last night. When was it? And she told me it was on March 26th. And I remember thinking, that's an odd answer to that question what's today and she said today's june 12th oh my gosh so two and a half months yeah in a coma yeah. that it's hard to explain but it was the blink of an eye and and then that's really it's no way to process right you know how how did two and a half months go away what have i missed my wedding anniversary my son's third birthday all these thoughts are going through my mind and and then I'm starting to ask questions about, well, you know, I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but if I've been asleep for two and a half months, things have to be really, really bad, right? Yeah. And slowly started to, you know, piece things together. Again, I was blind at the time, mm. and so I just had to rely on family, friends, doctors, and there were days I could handle what I was being told. There were days I had to say, all right, that's... That's enough for today. Yeah. Um, and that just started a very long journey that 20 years later, I'm still on that journey. Yeah. So um, you had uh, 55 surgeries. Were, were some of those even before you were not even aware? Or? A, a, a lot of them, actually, okay. while I was in the coma because a lot of them were life-saving. Your body was burned in yes, what's I, called a yes, fourth I'm sorry. degree, which I've never heard of 43% before. of my body uh, was burned, my neck, head, and face being the worst. And people do not survive fourth-degree burns. It's down the last layers of muscle into the bone. So uh, 
the a lot of the surgeries in the beginning, and that's a lot of why I was in a medically induced coma. The doctors very bluntly told my family, Jason will not survive. He oh, can't survive this. Yeah. So we're going to place him into a medically induced coma to keep him quiet and pain-free while we do all these surgeries. So if memory serves me anywhere close, I had around 17 or 18 surgeries while I was in that coma. And then I had quite a few afterwards, even before I got to where they were what I call elective, where I was able to choose what I wanted to work on as far as my okay, my life's been saved and I'm I'm going to live. What do I want to do with my appearance and these injuries, the the physical scars, regaining use of my hands, regaining some eyesight, which is just so precious. I mean, the all those months I was blind, it was the most claustrophobic, terrifying thing I'd ever experienced. So a lot of my surgeries were to get just some function back of life. I had, I'm a father. I have children. They're young. Uh, I wanted to, I mean, I remember being blind, laying prone on my back in the hospital, telling people. Now, can you imagine I, I, the way I looked at the time, so severely burned, full of bandages, can't see, lost half my fingers. And I'm telling people I'm going back to work. And <laughs> it was like crickets in the room. They didn't know what to say. They're thinking, Jason, <laughs> You have no chance of going back to work. So your life. brain was obviously. Oh, I was already like, I, no, I, I, being a Phoenix police officer is not what I did for a living. It's who I am. And I, I am going back to work. Not, nobody gets to tell. That's, that's up to me. Wow. That's every, every choice I make, every choice I made prior to March 26 led me to that intersection. So every choice I make now will take me where I need to go. So uh, you were bound and determined. You, you knew you would you would find a way out of this, and and that took a lot of time. Oh, it took, obviously, yeah, it took a lot of time. And your eyesight came back uh, through miraculous, uh, yeah, miraculous. Yeah. Uh, but not only from the the science of it and how we have progressed as as human beings in in the medical field, I had some wonderful doctors that were able to do some incredible things. I was just going to ask, did the the ones that you needed here or were they somewhere else? No, they were, they were right here. Uh, One in particular, uh, a doctor named Bill McLeish at uh, the Mayo Clinic at the time, he's now retired, but he, he knew how to reconstruct my eyelids. I had none. So I had no, no protection, no closure. My corneas, severely damaged and once you get scars in your corneas they cannot be taken away they cannot be removed and uh he would put my own blood your body heals itself the best he would take my own blood and make a special serum and i would put blood drops in my eyes to stop the scars from going any farther and he did get me to where i could drive again i did return to work uh now all these years later uh, age, the injuries are starting to catch us. So how many years went by before you returned to to work? Oh, only eighteen months. I was 18 injured. Months. I was injured on March twenty sixth of one, and I drove myself back to work on November twelfth of two thousand two. 
Wow. Two weeks after we had our third child, even. Wow. So I, I fit a lot into a, yeah. a short time frame, but I, I was just so determined and I was so supported. That was the other thing. You know, so many people aren't as blessed as I was to have. You know, I was 28 years old. I was married with two kids and being a father yeah. is so much bigger than yes. than myself. My kids did not ask for this. They didn't deserve this. So I was going to fight for them. My friends, the department, the whole community yeah. at the time was rallied around me. So, you know, I'm 2% of my success. I was just so blessed that I had uh, such an incredible team. So after 18 months, you walked back into the department. I did. And they welcomed you. Very much with open arms. It was yeah. a, it was an incredible day. Started out as a public information officer, uh, working for my academy sergeant, which was just wonderful to see that you know revolving door come back. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, within a year, I joined the Phoenix Police Homicide Unit. Got uh, well trained. You know, it's a, it's a powerful thing to to be able to speak for victims who can't speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. To work with families yeah. affected by that kind of violence and death uh and again something bigger than me that i just wanted to be a part of and that selfishly it went a long way in my recovery process but i was able to do do that and then i uh five and a half years after the accident i retired in august of 2006 due to my eyesight which i was taking my beautiful second chance for granted and kind of hurting myself with the hours I was working. And along with my hands, I wasn't able to qualify with my gun again. And just being, you know, the typical stubborn type A police officer, if I couldn't do the job the way it was meant to be done, I didn't want to just do it halfway. Right, right. So um, your triumph over tragedy and the inspiration... um, to continue to overcome the unimaginable adversity, uh, what did you do after you left the department? I know you 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 do a ton of public speaking. You do a lot of telling your story, which is so valuable to other people. You've probably helped more than you have any idea. And um, what was the structure like in your life after that? Well, when I retired, I just wanted to be Jason. I wanted to be a dad. And I went into business for myself. I was I was just doing those things. And I was given a few talks here and there. I didn't really know how to tell my story. It hadn't evolved enough, I don't think. I certainly didn't want, never saw myself as a public speaker. Yeah. I'm pretty introverted, believe it or not. And... Uh, but just as much as I had a life-changing moment that caused me to become a police officer is the death of another officer. I had a life-changing moment during one of my speeches where a firefighter from New York said some words to me that were so powerful that, uh, I called my business partner and I said, I'm selling the company that I owned at the time. It was a non-emergency medical transport company and I know what I'm meant to be doing. And that was 2010, and 11 years later, I've I've never looked back, and I, I'm blessed to travel the country, share my story, meet some wonderful people who share their story, and it's the my life now. I kind of I something I think about every day. You 
one of the most inherent desires we have as human beings, every morning when you wake up, you want to be inspired. You want to be moved. And I can find some really small things. You know, my favorite song, my favorite team winning a game, putting my hand on my favorite dog for a few minutes. It it, it changes, right? It's not always about getting through the entire day. Sometimes you just need to get through the next hour and see what you see. And the late Dr. Sean Stevenson, right before he died, uh, he was in a wheelchair, had a really horrific disease that he was born with. But he said in one of his speeches, this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. And I try to think of that every day, no matter if my eyesight is bad today, no matter if I'm not feeling my best, no matter if I'm like, oh, I wonder where I'd be on the department right now. I'm watching where my friends are in their career now. But this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And it's a beautiful way to look at life. So you had a... You had a a theory in your life that that moved you forward, and and it's three feet at a time. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Oh, oh, just a second. For those of you that are just now joining the Rescuers Radio Show, my guest today is uh, Jason Schechterly. Great story, and thank you for uh, joining us. So, what's the yardstick? You know, this just came to me many years ago, and I was looking at a yardstick and. I was thinking, you know, we feel as human beings, it is just incredible the range of emotions that we were designed to feel. You know, God put us on this earth, and my favorite thing, my favorite blessing is I get to make my own choices every day. And and anything I'm feeling, it just means I'm I'm alive. I'm thankful to be feeling it. And I was looking at a yardstick one day, and I thought, you know what? There are how many hash marks? Some are a little longer than others. Some are short. But there are hundreds on both sides. And you could attach a different human emotion to each one of those. And I recognize that we want to spend our time in this one little corner. I want to feel good and happy and loved and motivated, all these things. But throughout the day, every day, you are going to have some anxiety. You're going to have some fear. You might shed some tears. You might be angry. And it's okay. You have to embrace those just as much as you do the other ones. So, I, I mean, it's almost a revolving door for me. I go to bed at night. I lay my head down the pillow, and I'm alone with my thoughts. And it doesn't matter who you're sleeping next to. You're alone with your thoughts. And that's a dangerous place to be a lot of times in your own mind, right? But I think, like most people, I tend to think about my adversity. The weight of the world might come down on me, and I wake up the next morning. How can I leave today better than I found it? And how how am I going to go that three feet today? Knowing, listen, I'm going to – I woke up this morning pretty inspired. I'm going to come and do this radio show with you. I don't know what the day holds when I walk out of here. I really don't. I could, who knows, we're in Phoenix. I could have a road rage incident at the corner, traffic light as soon as I leave. And then all of a sudden I'm going to spend five minutes in anger. And then I have to get myself out of that. So it's just a three-feet journey every day that I love going on that. 
What a what, what a perspective because, and you've had to you've had to get in touch with every part of your body, mm. and and stay there right and yes, and what's working today, what's not working today, and and uh, and I mean you look great. And 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 and, and uh, you were an, a two handicap golfer, and now you're a number one, right? <laughs> it's well. So <laughs> I got my yes. I was a two hand. That's I had a golf scholarship. I told you yeah, I yeah. was a two handicap at the time of my accident. And this is the one thing that I gave up on. The one thing that I used the word can't. Yeah. I, no way with these hands and eyesight will I ever hold on to a little skinny club and watch a ball fly the blue, through the blue sky. But. I did learn how to play again, and I did get my handicap back down to a one, and I, I loved it. Now, uh, I, in full disclosure, <laughs> my handicap is a 5.6 because I don't play and practice as much as I used to, but I can still play pretty good, and I love it. <laughs> You're talking to a 20-plus uh, guy here, so it doesn't matter to me, but I, but I admire that, especially in your condition and everything that you've been through to, to – it just shows uh, the the inner strength that God has given us, right? right. When, and, and when it's time, we need to call on that strength. And apparently you, every inch, every foot, every three feet of the way, mm-hmm. you've, you've, you're the, you've come a long, long ways. Now, I don't have to tell you that, but, but our listeners uh, want to hear more about this story and, and, um, uh, you you said something in your you, you just did a TED uh, video at, for GCU and anybody who wants to just look that up GCU TED and you'll see uh, Jason's program there and it's it's pretty inspiring but um, uh, be patient you you if anyone's had to learn a, a lesson in being patient it's you you probably have a whole de- definition for that. That's right. And, you know, I, I got tired of stealing other people's cliches. It's okay. <laughs> uh, because, well, cliches, I don't understand why people will say, oh, I don't like cliches. Cliches are beautiful. Yeah. They're powerful. They mean something yeah. to us. Well, I finally developed my own, and it's uh, sometimes the most beautiful inspirational changes will disguise themselves as utter devastation. Be patient. Wow. And I, I that's, I, because I was not patient those first few months when I woke up, I was terrified. I was angry. I was in, I was, I was literally in darkness because I was blind, but then I'm also surrounded by the thankfulness that I'm alive and I have these children at home and I'm a, I'm a police officer. I I had all these things. So I had to learn. It's easy now for me to say, be patient. I, I I had to, learn how to be patient and now i'm at a point where i can be at all times so just to use that word you just said you're you're still a member of the police department well (laughs) yeah you know so in your mind in my mind i still feel obviously i'm not 15 years i've been a a a civilian i still teach at our academy uh to the new New recruits, nice. which I love yeah. to to be able to, because I remember like it's yesterday, sitting in those seats and and to be full of you know excitement, and enthusiasm, and you know it's and the world I, when I was a cop, everybody loved police officers. You yeah. know, in nineteen ninety nine, then then September eleventh happened, and the country was a lot different yeah. than it is 
today and we're in that down cycle where police are very disliked and and talked bad about by media and politicians and and i like to have some influence of positivity on these recruits because what they do matters so i stay involved i'd love to be an ambassador for the city of phoenix i think it's the greatest department in the world i absolutely love chief jerry williams she hired me think about that she was the sergeant in charge of the hiring (laughs) unit that's amazing. Who hired me. And now she's the chief of police. And it's just so fun to. She's awesome. Uh, she is. She's, yeah. in, she's incredible. So I, I will always feel like a member of the Phoenix Police Department, although I am not a sworn police officer and I don't go to work every day. But I stay involved and, and it, it, is, it is who I am. You know, and who thought we'd ever see this place? where law enforcement is today uh no it's it's uh, and we've i've had uh, a number of guests in the studio uh during covid talking about mm. the the uptick of of domestic violence the uptick of addictions the uptick of, of you know almost everything down the line and and um fortunately uh what god planted in me for this show is to show that there's shining lights out there whatever's going on in the world, there's people doing courageous things. Yes. And that includes you by there. That's why you're here. And um, so I think we're in a time stretch right here. One minute. Right. <laughs> and I told you it would go fast. It does. But, um, Jason, I, I just can't. I, I, I'm so uh, – I, I admire you. Thank and you. And I love uh, the person you are. I love the strength that you exhibit I'm, I know that's not a every hour of every day or every minute of every hour, but for goodness sakes, you um, you're the real deal, and whether you know it or not, you are a rescuer. You're changing and saving lives, just being the person that you are. And I thank you for being here today. I am honored. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Rescuers Radio Show can be heard every Thursday at 5.30 on uh, Faith, Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. And don't forget about the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.